actions, antidotes, your antidotes, the mindset that keeps you settling for less. One thing that's been on my mind quite a bit lately is relationships. This pandemic has been hard on a lot of people, but one of the things I hope that we're coming to the realization to over the course of the past year of being restricted and holed up at home is the importance of the relationships in our lives. And sometimes, especially in work environments, we don't get to necessarily choose who we want to interact with. It's not always this like attracts like, this mirroring phenomenon. We have to kind of find an effective way to interact with the people around us, regardless of who they are. So without further ado, I bring you Barbara Randall, the founder and leader of the Future Image Group, which helps a lot with work relationships. Welcome, Barbara. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Thank you. Let's begin by getting the listeners oriented to Future Image. Tell us about what you do, what your mission is, and and how you do it. It's a great question. Um, So in in a former life, I was the legal recruiter for 15 years. And the reason that I was successful in that endeavor was because of relationships, because of the personal interactions I had with my clients. And towards the end of that phase of my career, I started noticing this sort of alarming trend of the more senior folks in the workplace complaining about, excuse me, the millennials and the millennials complaining about the awful dinosaurs of boomers and how nobody was really talking to each other. We have uniquely five generations all working together at the same time for the first time in history. And each generation looks at work and life through a completely different lens. And nobody was taking really the time to get to know or get to understand which lens people are looking through. And then they were just vilifying each other. We've got all of these generations all working together and all speaking different languages. So essentially, I started researching it. And I found out that this is, in fact, a thing. The generations are not communicating amongst, each, amongst themselves. And they really are tending to gravitate only towards people that are just like them. When, in fact, each generation really brings an extraordinary, unique set of skills and set of tools and brilliant gifts that each generation can in fact learn from and grow from. And nobody was taking advantage of any of that because of a huge number of factors, social media, technology, all of that. We're losing the tools and the skills to actually communicate with one another. And relationships rely on communication and they rely on curiosity and interest and how are we doing this? And how are, you know, who are you? And why are you doing what you're doing? And asking people the questions that you just asked me, why are you doing it? I wrote a curriculum that teases apart the actual components of what it takes to develop, build, maintain, nurture relationships. Definitely. So when was it when you first started noticing this generational divide, whether it's boomers saying those goddamn millennials or the younger people complaining about the older people, whatever the predecessor to OK Boomer was? There's a great story. I I have a good friend who's a senior partner at one of the big national law firms. And we were out to lunch and he was going on about this this young guy who works for them, who came in and, you know, sort of slightly torn, kind of cool jeans blazer. And this guy was going on. He was saying, this guy doesn't know how to dress. He doesn't know what to, you know, how he needs to present himself as a professional. And I said to him, Mike, who's your biggest client? Who's your firm's biggest client? And he said, well, Amazon. He said, you know that. I said, yeah, I do. And you don't think that that young lawyer 
if he walked into Amazon wearing a three-piece suit, he wouldn't be paintballed. That was sort of a story that kind of illustrates what I was seeing as a headhunter. We've all heard about how these generational divides aren't really new, and most of the baby boomers can even kind of look back at their younger days when they were the younger ones being complained about by older generations. And I've actually seen presentations where they say people talking about the younger generation unfavorably dates as far back as, say, the 8th century BC in ancient Greece. What I'm wondering is, if you've looked into these past ones and if you feel like what's going on now, is it just a repeat of what's happened in the past or is there something new about it that's unique and more dangerous? Um, the difference now is technology. The fundamental difference now is the fact that we have the ability to communicate in so many varying forms, right? Whereas, so I'm in my 50s and when I was coming up and I had a question, I had to go talk to somebody. I had to go talk to a librarian or a teacher or a parent. And I, you know, and as a result of that, I got different perspectives. I got different attitudes. I got different ideas and so forth. And that really broadened my perspective. Nowadays, you, if you have a question, you can Google it. And so, and that's what I talk about. That's what I'm, when I'm talking about the skills that are involved in communicating, they're not being practiced, mm-hmm. right? We're not practicing them where we don't have to get out of our comfort zone and talk to somebody that may be scary or somebody that may be somebody that I wouldn't ordinarily talk with, right? Mm -hmm. We can just Google it. But what we're missing when we just Google a question is we're missing those perspectives. We're missing those different approaches. We're missing those different ways of answering those questions. And things take practice, as do communications. We're also becoming really, really fearful of putting ourselves out there and maybe making a mistake, mm-hmm. asking a question that may elicit some sort of disdain from somebody. Mm-hmm. Now, like I said, when, when I was coming up, I had to be vulnerable. I had to, you know, put myself out there and I learned, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that's how you learn. You learn by practicing and you learn by making mistakes. The younger group tends to defer to communicating via technology and therefore they're losing the communication skills and the practice opportunities that they have. Obviously, technology has changed quite a bit about the way we work, the way we communicate with one another. And it's easy to say that this whole idea that like attracts like, and usually people feel more comfortable around people who are similar to them, whether it be similar interests, similar ideologies, or anything like that. And that seems like it's fine when you're looking for the people you want to sit around and drinking beer and watch the Super Bowl, which just happened at the time of this recording. With, but when it comes to the people to work with, whether it's the organization you join as an employee and you're assigned to work with the other people that they hired, or even people who you choose to do business with, say you're starting your own business, that becomes not sufficient, right? No, I mean, absolutely. And, and part of growing up and part of you know, evolving as a professional is learning to navigate some of those situations. But again, that goes back to practicing and being able to you know, work with people that you might not like and figuring out, okay, we're all here, we're all aligned for a common goal and how are we going to get there? And so that creates another neuro pathway to being able to, like I said, navigate those sort of tricky situations. I mean, when I was headhunting, I ended up opening up my own shop and one of the happiest days of my life was calling clients that I really didn't like working with and telling them, I'm not going to be a good resource for you, but let me give you some people that, could, that, that would be. 
but I was in an advanced stage in my career. The backstory to that is, yeah, for the first 10 years of it, I needed to work with some people that I didn't necessarily like. And I needed to figure out how we were going to align ourselves with that common goal. I had to figure that out. And sometimes I did have to suck it up and deal with people that I really didn't like much. But that's part of the learning process. You started your own headhunting firm and then transitioned that to Future Image Group. Tell me a little bit about that process. What inspired it? What made you want to do what you're doing? And I did. In 2015, I had a very bad year. I got divorced. We ended up in trial and then my back broke and I was 50 at the time. And so I look at that and I looked at that opportunity as my universe saying, you know, let's sit down and let's really assess what do you want to be when you grow up? And what I always used to tell my candidates and my clients was do what you love and do what you care about. Looking back on my work as headhunting, it was great. It was profitable. It was awesome. But I didn't really like dealing with people when they were so miserable and they didn't really want to find a solution. And part one of my core beliefs is you don't get to complain about something if you're not willing to do something about it. We did a nationwide market research and we couldn't find anybody that was actually addressing this particular issue. So that's really how it happened. I had time because I was recovering from my back surgery. I had the inclination and I, you know, I was able to actually cobble together all of these elements of, of my career personally and professionally and do what I am most passionate about, which is people. You know, we're human beings. Well, we don't, we don't stop being human beings when we become employees. And that's something I wish a lot more employers understood, to be honest, is that your employees are, they're still human beings. They're not robots, at least not yet. And so they're going to be people that have needs. What's fascinating to me is that, honestly, in the year 2015, because it doesn't seem like this whole boomer versus millennial thing was even new then, but by 2015, there was still no one that was really looking into trying to find a way to solve this generational divide, at least in the workplace. Yeah, exactly. All of the, there's an enormous amount of research from, you know, big institutions like Harvard, MIT. There are a lot of people that had identified this as, as an issue, but nobody was doing anything about it. So we had a lot of people, as we do in this day of, you know, 24 hour news cycles, a lot of these people are saying, yeah, this is happening. Yeah, this is a thing, but nobody was actually doing anything about it. And so that I took that sort of as my clarion call and, I'm doing something about it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's very interesting. And the statement I kind of want to reiterate to my audience is the statement that you made about how you don't get to complain if you're not going to do anything about it. I know that sounds like a pretty harsh statement, but it does feel sometimes like we're living in a world where there are a lot of people who are good at complaining or identifying a problem, but not really doing anything. What do you think are the main barriers that people have like, let's say someone has a problem, they're observing something around them and they're like, oh, this sucks. This is stupid. What do you think is the biggest barrier between identifying and complaining to actually going into action, to actually doing something to decide to, whether it's start a business or start something else? Well, it's easy to complain, right? If something's pissing you off or something is annoying you or, you know, and now with, with all of the massive deluge of social media that, you know, we're all drinking water out of a fire hose viewing, it's very, very easy to get on somebody's bandwagon and, you know, either fight them or complain about them. But taking that next step to figuring out, okay, 
how are we going to reach a common goal? And that goes back to practice, the skills of maybe dealing with somebody that you may not agree with. And I mean, personally, I love talking with people that don't align with my social, political, you know, whatever views. I love it. It's fascinating to me because I like learning about, but until you engage and until you actually have a discussion with somebody, you don't know where the disconnect is. Right. And I think that is probably the single largest issue is that we don't actually engage and we don't actually ask questions. And that's really what my curriculum is about. It's about getting people to talk to each other and getting people comfortable talking to each other. Look, we live in this society where the expectation of perfection is rampant. You don't post yourself up at three o'clock in the morning with a vomiting child on social media, right? You take a hundred selfies, you get the most perfect one, then you post that. That is completely false. We are, as human beings, we are 99.9% imperfect. And so being able to feel comfortable with that imperfection and being able to feel comfortable with you know, maybe misspeaking, maybe having spinach in your teeth, maybe being comfortable with it. You know, I mean, I, I make mistakes a hundred times a day, but I know how to get myself out of it. You know, it's simply saying, yep, my bad. So sorry, human. Definitely. And it's interesting that the whole Instagram culture, as I put it, and it reminds me of the one time I truly rebelled against this culture. It was New Year's Day 2019. So this is a couple of years ago. And it was, I think, 10.30 a.m. And the first thing I did in the year was go to Taco Bell. And I got a meal that required me to fill a large Mountain Dew. And I actually posted on Instagram an image of me holding up this cup, filling up a large Mountain Dew with the phrase, new year, new me. And that was my one small way of rebelling against this painting a picture perfect version of yourself on social media culture. I but love it. Yeah, I do have to admit, usually I'm falling prey to that. And so we talk about these different divides we have, whether they be based on ideologies, based on race, and based on generation. It seems like Future Image Group focuses on the generational divide. Is that the most pressing one, or is that the best gateway to kind of address the other divides we have? It's a component of it. You know, I, keep, I always go back to we're human beings, you mm -hmm. know, and we, as a species, we require personal interaction. We require connection with people. We require being hugged, being seen, being recognized, being loved, being appreciated, being valued, all of those. But those are all human skills. And that's, those are the things that I, end up, that I really wind up digging into in, you know, when I work with clients, because you know, that piece, it's sort of like we've all become this, these sort of techno robots kind of thing. We forget that we're human. There is zero that is unique in my curriculum. We talk about things like justifications. We talk about things like boundaries. We talk about things like intention. We talk about things, you know, like in relationships. I just wrote a blog, which is coming out on Thursday about relationships. It's one of those words we throw around a lot, but what does it actually mean? What does it actually, what does it mean? Definitely. And for those that want to check out your blog and your business, how would people go about finding you? What's the web address? Futureimagegroup.com. So it's futureimagegroup.com. And what I'm wondering is when you're working with the people you work with, what do you think is the number one, the biggest challenge that the people have to overcome in order to start becoming better at forming these relationships? It's a great question. Fear, frankly, is one of the biggest. I mean, you can boil 
every single human emotion down to two things, love and fear. And if you're coming from a place of fear, which means if you're feeling insecure, if you aren't self-authenticated, if you don't know what you don't know, you're not going to ask. Again, going back to that immediate expectation of perfection, you know, we all assume that, you know, we're supposed to know everything. We're not. We are all a work in progress. We are all learning every single day, hopefully. It, it goes back to human things. It goes back to what do you want to accomplish out of it? But we're so pressed for time these days. Everything happens so quickly and everything happens that we don't actually create the space to think about what are our intentions? What is the purpose of this conversation? What are we trying to accomplish? What, who is this person? Right? Oh, this person is kind of painful. Okay. So how am I going to deal with this painful person in a way that's going to move, you know, whatever it is I need to do, get forward. Have you found that with your clients, once they overcome this fear, whether it be talking to someone, say in a different generational group, that that generally can be applied to some of these other divides and people are more open to talking to people that are different in, in any way that someone can be considered different? Absolutely. Look, a really big part of, of what I do is I give people the language to be able to say, like I have this one young person who I'm working with and, you know, she vilifying all the old folks and, you know, they're all stupid. And, and I say, okay, well, you know, why don't we look at it from his perspective? Why don't we look at it with the way you are presenting, right? And invariably, I mean, almost 100% of the time, they all go, oh, I never thought about that. You know, oh, I never thought about how my behavior might be pissing somebody off. So much of it is just raising an awareness of how do we present, communicate? How do we, you know, are we being passive aggressive, which is another big sort of default technique that so many people use, which is, okay, I'm not going to say what I actually mean, because that's going to require some time to think about how am I going to say it? Who am I saying it to? What do I want to accomplish by saying it? So we don't take that time. And so they don't. And so then they default to just sort of poking the bear, kind of being odious. And But if you actually create that time for yourself, and if you actually are able to think through what am I trying to accomplish, I believe you can say absolutely anything to anybody, as long mm -hmm. as you choose the right time, use the right tone, and you do it with the right intention and choose the right words which is something else that we have gotten very lazy about, frankly, in thinking about the words. So now all this kind of passive aggressiveness or not really thinking about how we're presenting ourselves or how other people may be perceiving us, do you see this as a problem that has gotten worse in the age of social media? And I generally consider the age of social media ever since about 2007, 2008, when Facebook, the you know, kind of original one, I know there's MySpace before that, originally went mainstream around the same time that the iPhone started going everywhere. Since that time, has the problem gotten worse, do you think? Absolutely, because we've become much more narrow in our peer groups. We've become much more narrow in the people that we actually interact with. We are not expanding. We align, we follow, we are friends with people that agree with the same things that we agree with. And so our whole scope, our whole worldview is getting narrower and narrower, frankly, sadly. That is sad. And one of my favorite movies from last year actually was The Social Dilemma, the one where they talk about the impacts of social media on our lives. And when I saw that, I actually kind of started realizing some of these impacts. I read 
a book called Distracted by Maggie Jackson, which came out in 2009. I read it in 2010. And even over the last, say, several years, I feel like there's been more people aware of how social media is impacting some of our, our psyche, some of our communication and relationships. I wonder if you see this as a problem that's going to get better or at least stop getting worse in the next, say, several years. It's a really interesting question and a good one. What we're starting to see with the next generation, the Z generation, is a lot of them are really pretty aware of how toxic so much of social media can be and how challenging. And so, you know, the pendulum swung from the boomers who didn't do any social media to the millennials who cut their teeth on social media. I mean, my son is 26 and he, you know, he's never known life without a phone, right? Mm -hmm. So he's on the younger end of the millennials, but he can't stand social media. He does he does just doesn't do it. He chooses, you know, granted he's my son, so I've been beating this into him, you know, his whole life. But so I guess my point is, is that the, the pendulum seems to be sort of swinging back to somewhat of a center. Look, Mm-hmm. Technology, social media, it's brilliant. It's wonderful. I'm not against it. I don't hate it. But like with everything else, moderation is important and being able to be discerning and to think and to know what you're doing and to understand that, oh God, I'm only, I, the only people that I communicate with are people that are mirror images of me. And we can get into that in a whole nother podcast because that's a really interesting thing about from a psychological standpoint. Because yeah. introspection is really yeah. failing these days. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because one of the things, and, and I'm speaking to you as, a, as an older millennial, probably the end of the millennial spectrum that's possibly the most guilty of this whole overuse of social media thing because we do have the memory of the world before it and then it came out to us, but came to us at an age where we were still young and impressionable. But one of the things I have been hearing a lot around is a greater interest in things like meditation and journaling. I've actually started doing that pretty regularly myself. Good job. Yeah, it's a lot. Actually, I met someone who, this weird thing I did on Thanksgiving, I rode my bike around town just looking for Thanksgiving lights because everyone was already on to Christmas. They started putting Christmas lights in October this year, I think. And I met someone who offered to go inside and put up the Thanksgiving decorations, you know, blow up the turkey, the electric thing that you have to turn on. And she talked about her family doing like a gratitude journaling every single night, Grat- not even just general journaling, which is, which is what I do, gratitude journaling, which is a whole different animal as far as awareness and also focus on more positive things every single night. And so I'm seeing some movement. And one of the things I always think about in, in our culture is we have problems and then we solve them. And when we solve them, there's a different problem to solve that comes from it. And so whatever problem social media solved which keeping in touch with old friends, I think, and family members, seeing people's baby pictures. I mean, I love seeing people's pictures on Instagram, whether it's their babies or what hike they did last week. We are in Colorado. So that's what most of your Instagram feed is going to end up being. But they're all starting to say, okay, no, now I need to actually take a deep breath. I need to think about through journaling and meditation. Is that one way more people could have that awareness that you're talking about? Like, I'm aware that I'm maybe coming across passive aggressive when I say this comment at this time in this way. You know, you raise a bunch of really important points. First of all, social media is not a conversation. And so people are going to read whatever it is that you write in whatever mood that they happen to be in. 
So you could be saying something totally innocuous. And if somebody's in a bad mood when they read it, they're going to think, well, that's a terrible thing to write. You know? I mean, yeah. <laughs> so I, I laugh when people say, oh, I'm having a conversation with somebody over text. I say, no, no, you're not. You're texting. <laughs> Call it what it is. <laughs> and then to your point about meditation, that to me is one of the most promising trends. It really is most people I know are talking about it. And some people that I don't know are talking about it on social media. But but what that is, is you're creating time for yourself. Right? Mm-hmm. You're creating time to think and make no mistake about it. The technology companies and the, the social media platforms have done a brilliant, brilliant, as was evidenced in The Social Dilemma, brilliant job of creating the next shiny object. And what do you need to do? And you know, how are we going to track you and how are we going to keep a monitor of what you're doing and who you're interacting with and what ads you're clicking on? They've done a yeoman's job of developing all of those things. And of course, we're curious human beings. We, you know, oh my God, that's cool. Let's try mm-hmm. that. But what you're talking about is not biting for the shiny objects and sort mm-hmm. of Again, creating, so I mean, what is meditation? It is creating a silent place for yourself to think. It's creating time for you to think. And again, you know, in this constant deluge of information that we're all getting every single day, every single minute, putting it away and creating time for yourself and journaling and getting to know yourself all begins with us. It all begins with the individual. And what do we want? And what do we want to accomplish? And how do we want to accomplish? And how do we want to develop relationships? Right now, for anyone listening out there, what do you think is the biggest challenge for people to create better relationships right now? And is it a different challenge for each of these five generational groups? Well, sure. I mean, you know, each generation is, like I said at the beginning, you know, looks at life through a different lens. I think one of the biggest components of or the biggest challenges is actually being intentional, actually wanting to go talk to that 80-year-old somebody with a million years of experience and learning from it and being curious about it and engaging people. But that then you go right back to fear. Oh, I'm not going to talk to that guy. He's mean, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, I mean, some of the most curmudgeon people I learn absolutely the most from, right? Mm-hmm. Because... So many of that curmudgeon behavior is just frustration. But if you actually stop and treat them like a human being and say, you know, hey, you are amazing. Yeah, you may be a grumpy old, but I want to know how you got to where you are and why did you keep coming back for 70 years? And you know, what is it that interests you? And, and same for the old folks. The old folks need to take the time. I mean, I, my favorite people to work with are millennials because mm-hmm. it is so fascinating to me. You guys are wired in ways that I, I will never, ever, ever be wired. I try really hard. We are trainable, mostly. I just had lunch with my son yesterday. And I mean, and he, I mean, his brain is working like a million miles a minute. He misses nothing. And a lot of that can be attributed to, you know, the, the onslaught of information that he's been getting for his whole life. Yeah, I occasionally joke that the only way I can ever shut my brain off is a substance that was legalized in Colorado, say just over. (laughs) (laughs) You and a lot of other people. To wrap up, I just want to get your take on 
what trends in the workplace you are seeing and expecting, say, over the next five years? We all know about the whole technology is constantly going to involve, but do you see this awareness of people as human beings becoming kind of more and more of a trend or this focus on building relationships a little more as becoming more of a trend or do you see it moving in a different direction? Again, another great question. What I'm seeing is the people that get it, the people that that resonates with, the people when I say employees don't stop being human beings when they become employees, if that resonates with people, there is a curiosity there and there is an interest there. They just don't know that there's a solution. Mm -hmm. However, there are other people and there are other industries that are strictly transactional, which is very well suited for the technology-driven model. But the people that get it, the people that are interested in meditating or journaling or you know, making time or creating, I mean, this is the other really big piece of it. The millennials and the Generation Zs, they represent 170 million of our next generation of leadership. Mm -hmm. Fun fact. If that group doesn't know how to communicate, doesn't know how to interact, doesn't know how to engage, doesn't know how to develop their staff, doesn't know how to actually communicate with people, that's a problem. Because going back to the human being piece, we require it. We absolutely require it. And so the forward-thinking businesses who recognize that key element and recognize the importance of investing in developing their personnel, there's a huge trend towards that. And that gives me an enormous amount of encouragement. But again, there are people that just don't. I mean, I walked away from a giant, giant hedge fund here in town because they didn't get it. They're like, oh yeah, you know, okay. Yeah, whatever. These people know how to do relationships. They know how to do all of that. Well, no, no, they don't actually. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. And when I look back on 2020, the year that just was, all the things that happened, one of the messages I get from all the events is stop avoiding uncomfortable conversations, whether it be the protest movement, the pandemic itself, or the election. Black Lives Matter. Yeah, everything like that. It's just everything seems to boil down to stop avoiding uncomfortable conversations. You know, but again, and now going back to the technology thing, it's very easy to avoid things. Yeah. Right. And so your point is very well taken. We've got to get over ourselves. That person may be scary, but we've got to quit avoiding things. And the way you do that is by having the tools, having the language, having the ability, having the confidence to, and the intention of knowing what it is that you want to accomplish. No, I'm not picking a fight with you. I just genuinely want to hear your perspective. Definitely. I think the overall message I'm getting from this conversation is we have a potentially better future, but we got some work to do. <laughs> a lot of work to do. Lies it but I love my job and I love doing what I do. And I love seeing the lights come on with people because again, human beings, all of a sudden this starts to resonate and they're like, oh, yeah, well, that was easy. Undoubtedly. And it's always good. I don't, really know the exact percentage of people who don't like what they do, but still, it seems way too high, whatever that number it is. So that's another topic for another thing. I mean, but the World Health Organization did a study and they found out that 80% of all doctor's visits are a direct manifestation of stress in the workplace. They're the physical manifestation of stress in the workplace. No joke. I'm just going to say, wow, 
never a shortage of, of topics. I think we've covered a bunch of places. Yeah, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> conversations, no. And uh, that's a, a good interlude into encouraging all my listeners. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and I hope you join me next time because I will be having more interesting conversations with people who are not just complaining, but doing something about whatever it is they personally have come to care about. Once again, Barbara, thank you very much for joining and and doing this podcast today. Thank you, Stephen. I really appreciate it. It was fun. Definitely. I hope you all have a good day. 